The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. This show, as ever, is brought to you by The Athletic UK. Welcome to the podcast. Come seethe with us as we discuss Fulham's 1-0 defeat to Tottenham in a game marred by several ropey referee decisions. I'm joined here to seethe with me, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Okay, Jack, um, before we get into the seething, uh, what three-word reviews came through? I imagine a lot of very angry ones. Yeah, there were a lot of lot of people quite cross, um, really, so that was, <laughs> that was quite reasonable. Um, Chris Ballard's Lamina Laments Limbs, uh, I, I was nice. a fan of. Uh, Steve at Aldo1702, Farewell to Arms, which is, which is a nice one for a, yeah, a, a literature buff like myself. Gordon, FFC Riverside, said... I put that this is good lawful decision made but the l is in brackets so it also says awful decision made that was clever ah, yeah, yeah, really yeah. That matt wall absolutely varsical um that was only two words matt, matt just fancied just not even putting a third word in that's how angry he Mate, was he's so so angry he don't even want to stick to the rules yeah, alistair nimo didn't lamine it ref uh, Hannah Louise yeah. detachable arms required primer black <laughs> one arm bandit sean burnett hand of robbed uh, and mike levy with virtually always wrong all right then let's get on to the game and well normally i like to go in chronological order but it feels that it's too much of a big issue to not just get straight into the teeth of the action fulham Denied a point in this game. Josh Madger scored what looked like a, a fantastic goal just after the hour mark. It was disallowed after it was ruled that Davidson Sanchez's clearance came off Mario Lamina's arm, which was by his side. And look, obviously, we're not going to agree with a decision like that. Obviously not. But, Jack, I just am livid by this because football is just broken. Like... It's not VAR. I'm fully aware that VAR is just the instrument here. It is the rule that is at fault. And it isn't the first time it's happened. And I'm not blind to the fact that other teams have been wronged by this. But of course, as soon as it happens to your team, it makes the whole situation become a lot more real. We've seen some bad decisions in the Premier League this season or decisions that just are unjust, right? Aren't morally right as the game goes. But, but tonight's was right up there. It feels like we have just been really, really hard done by. Yeah, it's really, really tough to take, isn't it? There's one thing, a ball coming off someone's arm and it bouncing into the, you know, if it's away from their body and it bouncing into a teammate's path, even if that's unintentional, you can understand it. But I mean, unless Mario Lamina doesn't have arms, there is physically no way that that can't come off his arm. He is in, they are literally by his side. And if, you know, if it doesn't bounce off his arm, it's going to bounce off his side, right? So it's not like he's gained any sort of advantage. I understand why they've, well, I don't understand, but I can appreciate the concept of what they've tried to do in terms of make this rule hard, fast, black and white. It comes off your arm. It can't, can't lead to a goal scoring opportunity. Fine. That doesn't take into account any sort of any sort of 
nuance within the system. You know, down the other end, uh, and in a defending situation, they have now decided that there is enough nuance that if you are not affecting, you know, a chance directly, or you haven't done it on purpose, or you're within the silhouette, then that that means that you can't be uh, a decision can't be given. You know, to, in in that regard, but in an attacking sense, that it, it can be given. So if you know, if Hoiberg there whacks the ball into Davinson Sanchez, if Davinson Sanchez whacks the ball into Hoiberg's arm instead of Lamina's, and they're in exactly the same position, it's not a penalty. But if he does it to Lamina, it's use of an arm to facilitate a goal-scoring opportunity. That for me doesn't sit right. That that's where I that's where I come into contrast with this law. And like you say, it's not VAR's fault. VAR is a tool which is used to to decide things. It, it, it's a really bizarre rule. And and in, in this case, it feels, you know, aggressively like we've been hard done by, yeah. Peter, your thoughts? Um, what was the kind of reaction in the ground? Uh, well, in the ground, it was interesting, actually, because, um, you know, obviously went to the VAR check and I think most players and, and us watching on are sort of used to it, not really sure what's going on. And we think, oh, well, what's happened here? I didn't see anything wrong. And then then it was ruled out. Um, fine. That sort of was some frustration and, and not that well accepted. But then the replay appeared on the scoreboard. Um and uh, there was there was a fair bit of disgust uh, at what was seen at that point, um, because as you say, I mean, and, yeah, I don't think anyone really can 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 justify why that's seen as handball. I actually I actually disagree with the idea that VAR isn't at fault. Um, you know, I I hate these discussions. I hate I hate talking about VAR and refereeing assistance, like you know, and that because it always leads into our team are sort of hurt more than any other team and, and, and conversations like that. And you know, you may get that sometimes, but generally, most teams are sort of hit by these things. But um, with VAR, this kind of decision isn't given without it. Um, and I was just reflecting at the time that. You know, and I'll probably write this in my piece tomorrow morning. Um, that when I, because I, I, I studied to be a referee, and um, I've, uh, that has now very much lapsed. And there's a, a part of the past. I no longer receive my laws of the game book every year. I have to go elsewhere for that. Um, but one of the key things that was always emphasised to me was an unwritten law, which is common sense. And you know, Scott Parker actually talked about this afterwards. Anyway, um, perhaps not in the officiating sense, but. Um, with the application of different laws in different situations, you would apply common sense. There's a referee's discretion. You know, there are, there are reasons why sometimes a player will get a yellow card for one instance and then a yellow card for others because it depends on the match context, the tempo. There's so many different things that require the use of common sense in football. It's a fluid game. It's fast. It's, it's an emotional game. Um, and then you get sort of situations like this. Now, the laws are quite clear you know, by the letter of the law, it was, it's not a goal. It should be ruled out. It says scores in the opponent's goal directly from the hand arm, even if accidental, including by the goalkeeper, should be ruled out. It's an offence. But without VAR, this doesn't even come to light. And the application of common sense is hindered by the fact that VAR is searching for the absolute purity of the laws, and now this then shines a, left, like a light on the law. So, well, this law is wrong. This law is is, is incorrect. And in most situations, this law is absolutely fine. Um, there are scenarios where you could have an, an arm in a natural position, and suddenly you've you've set up a goal. You could even touch one in yourself. 
Um, and you know, I think you could probably make a case to tweak this one, but the, 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 the worry I have is that the more you tweak all these laws, we're just going down a rabbit hole that just makes football feel completely different to what it, what it should be. When in reality, all you needed in this situation was an actual referee there applying common sense and interpreting it, the laws in their own way, as has always been the case, which has always been the laws and the way they are written, to actually apply that common sense and say, actually, Jot, that's not handball. There's no one's really gained an advantage there because the ball's going to land in that same position if it hits his torso, hit, whatever. Um, so for me, VAR is at fault here because it just takes away the referee's common sense. And, and you could, you could, of course, you could make the case that the, the referee in the VAR and in the in, at Stockley Park can can apply common sense, common sense himself. And I, I totally accept that point. And you know, you can make that argument for sure. But I. J- it's, it's, it's part of a wider thing, really, where we're, we're constantly trying to find black and white in a game that's subjective half the time. Um, and, you know, if there were supporters in the ground for that, you know, why you wouldn't want to pay your money to attend a game like that, to have that, the, the best part of the game, the crux of it, the emotion of it, like just sort of withdrawn. Yeah. You know, football is as much about the laws and whatever else and the actual the goals and but the whole occasion the spectacle not even just the football bit but the going to it the friends fam all of it is the emotion that comes with it and when you start taking that away you take away the spectacle and even for the broadcasters everyone like where all the money's come from the reason it sells is because of that emotion and when you start picking away at that you undermine the product if we want to go fully capitalist or commercial um you're undermining that and i just think we're all worse off and i think if we just strip it all back and just talk about this decision i think most people say this you know it shouldn't be humble i think that's pretty objective and yeah yeah, that's sort of where i stand on it and i've sort of ranted a little bit there but it's frustrating it is frustrating and uh, for Fulham deserved a point in this game. And I, to be honest, this is, I, I generally try to avoid refereeing arguments and debates because there is a 90 minute game that's happened there. And you, you, there's, there's certainly a case to say that Fulham had opportunities to take a point elsewhere. There was 20 minutes of Tottenham sitting on the edge of their penalty area. And yet Fulham couldn't quite make the difference. But of course they did score. They scored a, what should have been a legitimate goal. So it's always harder to make, to make that case. But um, yeah, that's where I stand on it. <laughs> but if VAR... Like, there are good sides to VAR. I I do see the benefits to it. And I'm certainly not one that just wants to scrap it entirely because there are moments where VAR does something or sees something that's a completely obvious error. Surely, like, we can just rewrite the handball law here. And if we're just sensible about it, 99% of occurrences will be accounted for. It's a bit similar to the to the offside law. Like again, surely we can rewrite these things so that VAR and common sense can coexist. It's surely not impossible. It, you know, you watch a lot of German football, and VAR is implemented effectively in the Bundesliga because it's just run sensibly and it doesn't interfere with the game, and it's not a five minute discussion every time something needs to be checked it i don't know what it is maybe it's because they've had it for a little bit longer and the teething problems are less obvious but it feels like they just have everything under control and that when you watch var intervene in the bundesliga or in Serie A or even in la liga it, it doesn't feel like it's a complete imposition on the game whereas it feels aggressively like that in the premier league and i'm not quite sure what it is they're doing 
that is so far removed from the use of VAR that we've seen across the continent that's been good. And look, it did have teething problems at the first. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Bundesliga never suffered from from any VAR controversy or that when it was introduced in, in Serie A, it, it didn't help. It didn't you know, hinder as much as help. It did. It had problems. But they all seem to have transitioned to it far better than the Premier League. And I'm not completely sure why that is, apart from, in my head, the authorities that be within the English or, or British game appear to want to fix everything rather than just use it for the circumstances it's it's sensibly used within I, I don't know we've seen tonight via, you know decisions about offside in the Chelsea Liverpool game that, that followed us and that much as I delight in seeing Chelsea goals ruled out you know the the it was a as my brother said it's a bad day to have arms because Timo Werner was ruled offside by by his sleeve cuff because he was moving in a direction surely if we're living in an age where that technology rules on offsides, we have to make a, a point which is genuinely hard and fast. And for me, that obviously goes to being the player's feet, right? It just, there is no way that if a player is moving in one direction and he is basically pointing his arm out to where he wants the ball, mm. there was a Patrick Bamford incident earlier in the season, this one is him, you know, trying to move, then that's just the way that the motion works. You know, two teams running in opposite directions. It's the player's feet, which is which has to be, I think, the way that this moves forward in terms of the offside rule, because it makes no sense given where where the game is and how now to the millimeter that the offside rule is. Now, the offside rule is kind of hard and fast, right? There's not there's not space for interpretation. You're either offside or you're not. But when it comes down to sleeve cuffs and who has a longer sleeve, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised to see teams shortening sleeves on their shirts in order to get the advantage from a VAR decision soon, because that's the, the, the millimeters we're coming to when it, when it, when it's come to the death. And, and when that happens, I think you've got to find something that's hard and fast in that rule. I think it's, it's feet when it comes to the handball rule, I, I'm not sure what that is. And the silhouette question posed as many problems as it did answers right and that's where perhaps as peter says common sense has to come more to the fore but the facts are that you can't look at that i don't think anybody can look at that and think yeah good decision that you know you have spurs fans all over my mentions being like i'm not sure why that wasn't given that absolute disgrace etc etc and yes as peter says there's plenty of other moments in the game where fulham maybe should have, have done better with opportunities and and, and cause other problems in order to get that equalizer but We've also had a completely legitimate equaliser in footballing terms, maybe not in rulebook terms, ruled out, and that hurts. Yeah, it does hurt. I just think with, as, as Jack was saying there, I think the issue quite clearly is, you know, it's the referees looking at it in the VAR has seen that and gone, that's handball. And, you know, common sense dictates that, it's, that, it's, that it shouldn't be given as that. And I just, I just think that's, a symptom and maybe maybe it is just a thing in English football I haven't I haven't been watching as much European football probably as you Jack where it's become a cultural thing now within potentially within officiating within the way these these laws are being applied that, that almost need it needs to be to the to the absolute letter of the law um that it, the, the fact that we have this screen that means that we need to be able to absolutely assess the armpit width of, of someone being offside. And but the, the stupid thing with that is you can't even be 
absolutely sure that the ball has left someone's foot with these scenarios. You know, there's always going to be that slight ambiguity. The, the technology that they're using is not completely accurate. We it's not like they've got chips in players' boots. Um, and to, to be honest, I'm, I completely agree with you, Jack, about the players' feet. You should, that's, that, that would make the most sense. It's, yeah. You know, it's football. Um, and that, that would solve, up, solve quite a few things with that as well. I mean, there, there are so many different ways you can interpret it. But I just think it's a cultural thing where the laws are designed in a way where the referee has a lot of auto- autonomy and virus taking away that autonomy from the referee on the field. There was a game last year where, where Bournemouth went to Burnley. It was massive, a massive game for Bournemouth. They really needed to pick up some points. Um, they played superbly well, had two goals ruled out. No, one goal ruled out, sorry, and another uh, a penalty was given. The first was for a handball where it's hit the top of Philip Billing's shoulder. It was one of the incidents that actually led to the silhouette change, which still leaves that you know question of what, what actually is... The, the end of the t-shirt you know it depends on someone it's, again it's interpretation you can't take that out you you need that sort of nuance you need that scope for subjectivity um not everything can be black and white but anyway the goal came off philip billing he flicked it on josh king headed headed it in ruled out for, for handball second half. Mention that name around these parts Pia. yeah sorry but i'm just just recounting the story jack just recounting the story um and then the second half adam smith handled the ball um it hit his shoulder as well and you just with these situations the penalty wasn't given the goal was given in the first half and Mike Dean was a referee and there are so many other things there were like the wind in the ground like the factors in it the fact that the handballs are normally supposed to be deliberate like it, it wasn't even on that it was at the top of the shoulder it was barely it was almost his neck for the first goal but these are the things that a referee on the day that that's why you have an official there and don't get me wrong I like as Sammy said, VAR has so many good good points. There are so many incidents. Jack, we only have to mention Thierry Henry's name, and that will probably set you off. I, I just, you know, right. <laughs> what are you doing to him? <laughs> you're, you're right tonight. You just decided to take out your anger on me instead. I see. You. <laughs> I like winding up Jack at the best times, but like, wow, let's go easy on the lad. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be, it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, the, 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 there are incidences where it's valid, you know. And I just think maybe it takes a, maybe a cultural reset, a, a way we, we need to think about how we're applying these things. Because VAR is not designed for the rules as they are. And I think, you know, we're going to keep finding these little little elements to it that aren't going to fit. Um, and, and the handball incident, Tonight is is a perfect example of that. Well, I mean, you talk about nuance, Peter, and like, you know, how far do we go with this? For instance, right, players swear about a ref on decisions they make all the time. But there's a difference between saying, oh, fuck off, ref, whilst your back's turned to him and he can barely hear you and going and screaming, fuck off ref in his face and pointing your finger, right? Again, that's where a referee can use common sense. It's illegal to swear as a referee, but there's one difference between doing it with your back turned and kind of muttering it under your breath and shouting it in his face, right? You know, that's what referees are there for, to understand nuances, to understand and use their common sense and realise that letter of the law doesn't always work. It really doesn't always work. And... You know, some things you do need a hard and fast rule. For instance, like the headbutt rule, right? You know, a headbutt is a headbutt. If you clash your head with someone else, then it's a headbutt. But in this case, it's hit his hand. There is absolutely no advantage gained. And I do think there is some way of tweaking the rules in order to actually make it 
work and make sense. You will occasionally, once a season, find an inconsistency where it doesn't work. But right now, it's it's completely bonkers. And we have been robbed. Um, let's come on to the game. Peter, it really was a tale of two halves. Spurs by far the dominant side in the first half and probably good value for their lead. And, and Fulham just seemed to struggle with... Tottenham's front four it was the first time they've played this season Bale Kane Son and Ali and also just a very intense press as well we seem to be constantly outnumbered in the midfield we were often losing the ball and Tottenham really could have been two or even three up had they had they taken all their chances and made their dominance count yeah I think that's that's a fair assessment of how it how it went um you know, the, Tottenham did play with this four. They did press, uh, press very high up the field. Um, it, it, it sort of, you had the first Spurs press and then once once you actually beat that press, you you had the opportunities to actually create some some chances and Fulham did that a few times, but they didn't do it enough. Um, I thought they started, I thought Fulham started really, really well. Um, very much on the front foot. I quite liked having Loftus-Cheek on the left. I don't know if he seemed more comfortable than on the right. I, I just seemed to, especially in those opening five, 10 minutes, it looked quite, quite nice and, and Anthony Robinson really did provide some good width on the left but then but then Spurs got on top through their press um, they, they were working very very hard up top and Fulham played into it a little bit there were too many loose passes and, and credit goes to Tottenham for that um, and for the way they harried uh, and the way they condensed space and prevented Fulham from, from play, playing out in their usual passing channels um, but I, I did, you know, there were too, a few too many loose passes, a few too many loose touches in key areas. You know, we're talking about the middle third here into the Fulham third, it's a uh, final uh, defensive third, um, which really played into to Tottenham's hands. You know, they they are so good at counter-attacking the way they break with Son, with Bale, with Kane, Kane dropping into that pocket and then spreading the passes. Deli Ali was drifting all over that that the the Fulham back line and pulling Tosin Adrobio out and pulling Joachim Anderson out, um, they were very very impressive, um, and they sh- they really should have been two free up. Um, that said, Mario Lamina himself missed a, a brilliant chance just on half time um, that could have that could have changed the picture a- a- again as well. And you know then with then in the second half, Tottenham just dropped off. I think they they're a team that needs to go two free up or otherwise they're in a bit of bother. Um, they they were very very nervous. Um, they dropped very very deep, and and you know that's why we probably saw Alexander Mitrovic ten minutes earlier than he would normally come on. Um, you know, and, and Joe Bryan as well for for the crosses. And I don't think we saw enough uh, deliveries into the box. Fulham still part, were passing up those chances to to actually put it on top of, of Toby Alderweireld and, and Davinson Chan, uh, Sanchez. Um, and yeah, I mean, especially the way the second half goes, that just adds to the disappointment, really. If you if you take the magic goal out, um, you know, they should, Fulham really should have come away with at least a point. Scott Parker said afterwards that uh, he felt the team should have won the game. I think that, considering the Spurs' chances, um, probably was it would be pushing it a little bit. Um, you know, that was a fantastic save from Alphonse Ariola in the second half as well to deny Harry Kane, which can't be forgotten either. Um, but yeah, I mean that. I, I do think with the goal as well. I mean, Marilyn Lamina's hit the post. I think just before that, or, or Larice has tipped it onto the post. Really good save, quite, yeah. Could, couldn't really quite, good save, yeah. Couldn't quite see from from where I was sitting, but um, again, that's another opportunity that, that that Fulham passed up. And you know, for all the pressure in that period, oh, 
can't really think of too many clear chances. There were a couple from set pieces. Anderson got a flick on and then tossed Nadrabayo. He will score from a corner eventually. It just feels inevitable. I just hope it comes soon. Uh, he seems to have, he does seem to get those chances with some regularity. Um, but apart from that, there wasn't a hatful of chances. Um, so yeah, I mean, chances there weren't enough of them. But I mean, from from the way the second half panned out, and the way that Fulham uh, that Tottenham just dropped off, you know, you, there was a point there for Fulham. Well, look, Peter, I know you need to go because you've got a, uh, a filing deadline for your piece for The Athletic coming up. But uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for seeing. And I think your uh, rant about refereeing VAR and uh, penalties may go down in uh, Fulhamish history. So uh, <laughs> thank you for thank you for being on the pod tonight. <laughs> no worries. And uh, sorry, Jack, if you're... If you're yeah, so I'm going to go around telling people you used to be a cop. <laughs> 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 Oh dear. Uh, Peter, thank you very much. See you later, guys. Right, okay. In part two, myself and Jack are going to continue the dissection of the Spurs game and get a bit more into the minutiae of the game. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here and I'm joined by Jack, no longer alongside Peter Rutzvar, as he called himself on the uh, on the tab today. Yeah, it's um, a, a good one. Obviously, I think Peter needed to get out some steam. So, so fair play. I, I think we all did, to be honest. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, we, we could allow him to do that. Well, I'm he's, sure he'll he's also... becoming more of a Fulham fan, isn't he? He's furious. He's absolutely livid. So that's he is livid. We're rinsing the Bournemouth out of him and he's uh, started to bleed black and white. Uh, His piece will be out probably by the time you hear this podcast, by the way. If you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you can for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll get great analysis, in-depth features from the best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod to take advantage of this 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Um, Jack, a few more refereeing decisions that I guess I want to quickly run by you. I don't know if I'm being petty, clutching at straws with with a couple of these. First of all, the Spurs goal. Two potential instances here. People talking about a Deli Alley handball in the build-up, which I'll be honest, I've looked at a couple of times and I still can't really see. Um, But the one that got me, do you think Kane was offside when, when Tosin put it into his own net well he certainly is in well, an offside position offside. There's, I don't think there's much doubt about that is he interfering I mean it's a different question um, what do you think well it's a tough one isn't it because if you're Tosin Adebayo and you know Harry Kane is behind you you can't just leave that ball go you'd everyone would be no. like what are you doing but actually weirdly if he had left the ball go it had gone wide and Harry Kane taps it in it doesn't count so is he interfering I, I I would say yes. Look, I'm not saying that that goal should be ruled out. I don't think we can literally sit here, discuss what we've discussed about VAR, discuss what we've discussed about the, the, these decisions, and then say, you know, turn around and say, I think a player who hasn't really had much to do with the move is interfering. If, if that got ruled out for us, and that was Mitrovic, and it got ruled out for him interfering, we'd be livid. We'd be yeah. absolutely livid. So, so there is that element of it. But, I mean, given the decisions that have gone the other... Look, if, if our decision goes differently, do we talk about this? Probably not. So no. maybe that's the that's the truth of it. But given the way that the rest of the game panned out and given the way that the rest of the decisions panned out, then maybe should it have been looked at? Perhaps, perhaps. If that's the, if that's the way that the whole game is going to be refereed to the letter of every single law 
then then perhaps Harry Kane is interfering with play because Ariola's definitely got one eye on him, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's looking for the ball across the box. He's not just looking at Deli Alley. He's trying to cover both angles. And Tosin probably doesn't deflect that into his own net if he's not trying to cover Harry Kane at the back post. But do I want to see that goal ruled out? I mean, as a Fulham fan, yeah, of course. But do I want to see that type of goal ruled out full stop? Probably not. No, I think that's exactly where I stand with it, really. Morally, I don't think it should be offside. But again, if we're going to... It's a little bit tit for tat, isn't it? I'm a bit thinking at the moment, well, if you're going to rule out our goal, then 100% you should be ruling out that goal. The other decision that infuriated me, I know it infuriated you from Twitter, though, and it definitely should have been something should have been given was um, Harry Kane's dive. Olaina absolutely nowhere near him uh, when Harry Kane went down for a penalty in the first half. VAR looked at it and rightly didn't give it as a penalty and agreed with the referee's on-pitch decision. But why can't that then be given as a yellow card for simulation to Harry Kane? If, if, if surely... I mean, my dad said it at the time and I thought, oh, that's a bit harsh, dad. And then I thought about it again. I was like, no, it's not harsh. Why, why does he not warrant a yellow card there? Well, I mean, we've just asked, said that the VAR should intervene less, right? <laughs> we're, we're talking about it intervening as little as possible for the decisions that matter and no more than that. So as soon yeah, as VAR starts interfering for yellow cards, it was the same thing about the corner, right? They check for a handball on on Hoiberg, which yeah, is Hoiberg. incorrect, right? And it's not a handball and it goes off behind. But considering it's being checked for the handball, then it has to have come off him, right? There's no check if the ball doesn't yeah. come off him. <laughs> so therefore, in the referee's head, surely he's thinking that's got to be a corner. But the ref- but he's not allowed to then overturn his decision because the corner isn't checked. You know, imagine if VAR started checking every corner. One, the game would go on for five hours. And two, everyone would be like, this is not... <laughs> This is not what it was brought in for. So I can understand the, the concept of why it's not doing those things. And I suppose the dilemma you have here, and, and it's easy to say it and be like, why haven't you booked him? And I was furious. I, I tweeted about it. But at the same time, the referee didn't give it as a foul originally, right? So therefore, the referee probably should have booked him for simulation and then checked it for, checked it for a foul afterwards. So that's my my slight concern with it. But I also don't want VAR checking every corner, every yellow card. We want it to interfere as little as possible with the game, is what we're saying, unless there is a huge decision that needs to be overturned. And in that, I find it hard to then sit around and be like, oh, VAR should definitely be handing out yellow cards for simulation because <laughs> it's, it's not what I want it to be doing. Uh, what did you think of Scott's subs today? I, again, didn't think that, Mitrovic did all that much. I kind of understood the thinking behind the Joe Bryan substitution in order to kind of whip balls into the box towards Mitrovic, but that move did not happen anytime. I thought the Angisa substitution for Loftus-Cheek though did work um, and certainly helped us to kind of keep Tottenham under so much pressure in the final half hour. So once again, a bit like the Palace game, mixed reviews from me on, on the substitutions. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what you do different. I think I think that in the Palace game, Scott going two in the middle and you know and and two up top cost us the control of the game. I didn't think that necessarily as much today. I didn't think we suddenly lost complete control in the way that we did against Palace. And and I 
thought that Scott would have noticed that against Palace because of the way that the game was ebbing and flowing and that with three in the middle, we really, really were sticking it to them. As soon as that became just Reed and Loftus-Cheek, we started being overrun. Today, I thought the Anguissa sub was the right one. I was pleased to see it for Loftus-Cheek because I think actually in the first half, part of the fact that Fulham couldn't get any control of the game was because we were being swamped in the middle. We went back really to a bit of a five at the back today. It was it, it was a sort of hybrid system. Obviously, Cav does a little bit of both. And Olaina is a good enough player that he can justify playing at right back and right centre back kind of across the across the board. So that's a really nice option to have, obviously. Um, and I thought we were a little bit reticent in the first half. Um, I thought then in the start of the second half, actually the, the change that really happened was Loftus-Cheek going into the middle and him starting to, to dig in a little bit with the midfield. And I think that's when we started to rest a bit more control back for the game. Uh, and it actually was was that as much as anything else that really helped us. And, and that was a, a Scott tactical switch, which I thought really paid off. I then thought switching Loftus-Cheek for Anguissa was actually quite a nice move because it gave us that control in the middle. It forced us to to start you know, pushing higher up the pitch. So his midfield three were everywhere. I thought Mario Lamina, despite missing obviously the big chance in the first half and the chance that was a really good save in the second was probably Fulham's best player tonight. He felt like he was everywhere. Um, I thought he, he put in an, a phenomenal performance and I think actually him and Anguissa really squeezed the life out of Spurs, especially as Mourinho started to dig in. You saw that sub that took Delhi off for Musoko and, and, and you could see them start to go, right, this is a 1-0 lead we need to defend now. And actually I thought pinning them in was, was the right thing to do. So that was, I thought, a, a good sub. And Look, we, we couldn't get the ball to stick in the first half. So so bringing on Mitrovic felt like the right thing to do in terms of doing that and, and making it work. But that's twice now that Alexander Mitrovic has come on and really failed to assert himself on the game. Now, that's not really a dig at Mitrovic. It's, it's more a fact that I think he's struggling to get into any rhythm off the bench. I think he's struggling to get into, well, any rhythm full stop, to be perfectly honest, because yeah. of, he's playing. But... Also, having lost confidence, as, as we think, and being you know, hit with a couple of, uh, of different things, with, with COVID bans and this kind of stop-start nature to the season, I think he's really found it difficult to, to get going. And now when you're bringing him on for sort of 15 minutes to chuck the kitchen sink, it's not necessarily working in quite the way that we'd hoped. I'm hopeful that Scott will continue to try to give him minutes. Um I know that sounds a bit weird considering we've just said it's not really working, but I do think he has a part to play in this run-in and this campaign um, and and to try and get him into some sort of form and uh, and shake off that rust a little bit, I think it's going to be important as we get towards the end of the season. So, so there are those kind of elements to it. And, uh, and when you, when you look at Mitrovic, you, you know, obviously want him to, to, to be scoring, to be, to be happy, to be positive in the camp. He's got way, you know, more than enough credit in the bank. This isn't any sort of huge dig at, at him. He, he has dug us through two promotion campaigns. He has been a talisman for this team when no one else would stand up. He has more than enough credit in the bank. Um, but at the moment, it's just not quite clicking for him. And I think part of that is just the kind of stop-start nature of everything around him. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break and then afterwards we're going to look ahead to Sunday's trip to Liverpool. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Jack Collins. Let's then take a look ahead to Sunday's trip to Anfield. And well, there are no free hits in this league and we've talked about Fulham's change of attitude 
against playing the big sides and okay disappointing not to get anything from tonight's game and whilst it wasn't a given I think it still is disappointing and it's weird going into a game at Anfield Jack where naturally we'd think this game is is a write-off but but given how things are looking right now I don't know it doesn't feel like a write-off yeah I think so it's one of those where we're you're looking at Liverpool at the moment in the form that they're in and you think yeah why not considering how how good Fulham have been how unlucky we were to to not you know to not get a point out of today to feel hard done by you'd hope that those players are going to be fired up now for Sunday and, and thinking we were robbed there we deserve something better you know, than what we got and and Liverpool are you know, they're struggling. They're really, really struggling, aren't they, at the moment? And so that's not to say that we're going to you know, bop up to Anfield at the weekend and and blow them away. I don't think that's a stretch by any, you know, any stretch of the imagination. But what I do think is that we should go up there with any fear. And and, and like you say, you know, to lose is not the end of the world, but it isn't a free hit in the way that it might have looked a couple of years ago. It's not a free hit in that we're going up there to to try not to get battered. It's It's a free hit in that, Anything is a bonus, but we should be going up there with absolutely no fear and and no kind of uh, you know, reticence about about feeling that we can get something out of that, get, that game because we 100% can. Well, yeah, five defeats now in a row at Anfield for Liverpool. Um, as we speak, they've just uh, finished their game uh, against that lot up the road. Um, lost 1-0, probably could have been more, should have been more really if that Werner goal wasn't disallowed, which it definitely shouldn't have been. I, I mean, it's been such a weird season for Liverpool, hasn't it? Rocked by injuries and, you know, other sides have had to deal with injuries, but Liverpool's have been pretty yeah, they have. catastrophic. Um, but it's still doesn't explain everything that's going on at Liverpool right now. They still have more talent in their team than a side that's lost five on the spin at Anfield, particularly to the calibre of sides that they've lost to, be it the likes of, you know, Brighton and Burnley. Yeah, I, I mean, underestimate this Liverpool side, you know, bad as they have been in terms of form, underestimate them at their peril. It's still a lot of of players there who are among the best in the world. There's a lot of elite level, world-class footballers at that club. And they are the current and reigning champions of England for a very, very good reason. Now, they haven't scored a goal <laughs> in open play at Anfield for 10 hours. Yeah, I've just and, seen this. And they haven't they've lost five on the spin at Anfield and I don't know why that should make us feel confident shouldn't it but it doesn't <laughs> makes you feel well no I just it, it, sick, frankly it makes you think that Fulham have come at the perfect time for them I've just seen another um tweet here someone saying um can't get my head around Liverpool being unbeaten at home for 68 Premier League games then losing five on the bounce I mean it, it is just astonishing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a culmination of a load of factors and I'm not going to sit here and sling shade at Liverpool considering the everyone's had issues, like you say. And, and that, you know, we spoke on that Sheffield United preview that we did the, a couple of weeks back about the fact that I think that Sheffield United have perhaps been the only club that's hit as hard as Liverpool in terms of a serious injury crisis in one particular area. And I think the thing about Liverpool and centre-backs is that Obviously, you look at it and you go, oh, it's bad that their centre-backs have come in. But the fact that they've had to play Henderson and Fabinho back there has also ruined the balance of their midfield, which in turn has basically taken this side completely and utterly out of kilter. Now, there is 
a lot of uh, of things going on at Liverpool. They have a lot of world-class players and they should be able to see things through a little bit better than they are currently doing. But I'm not surprised that it has taken, you know, a crisis as big as this and it has knocked them slightly off kilter. It has knocked them off form. They don't feel like they're in any way, you know, acting like the side that we saw last season absolutely blitz the, you know, the league and absolutely dominate from nigh on start to finish across the course of the season. That's not to say, though, that they can't become that team again. And obviously, they're in the fight for a Champions League place now. They are starting to see players return from injury. We saw Jota come back off the bench today. That worries me. We've seen Fabinho start to play a little bit more in midfield again. That worries me. He gives them so much balance and so much you know, more of a, uh, of a kind of open road to move forward from in that position. They've come up against a Chelsea side that are in good form. Um, at the moment, and under Thomas Tuchel, have become a bit of a, a you know a, a problem to beat. You know they haven't lost a game since Tuchel's taken the job up the road at the dog track, and it is slightly concerning um, that they're doing so well, um, despite the fact that it's not particularly pretty to watch. They just seem to get these jobs done, and mm. it looks like they are very much back in the box seat for a Champions League spot, which is a shame, but we live with it, and. Uh, it's not like we haven't got used to Chelsea being quite good over the years. Uh, yeah, but what I'm saying here is that Liverpool losing 1-0 to Chelsea isn't actually that bad a result. Like, obviously, if you're a Liverpool fan, you're going to be furious and, and that you know they're not going to be there like, oh, it's all right, we've only lost to Chelsea, they're quite good. They're not going to be feeling like that. But the point I'm making is that this Chelsea side are quite good and losing 1-0 to them isn't you know, isn't anything to be bleakly ashamed of. It's not like they've gone and lost 5-0 at home to Sheffield United. You know what I mean? It, yeah. th- these are slightly different things. And so that's this, you know, the fact that they've lost five on the bounce isn't a reason to go to Liverpool thinking, oh, we're going to absolutely smack them here. It's still a place that we should treat with caution, with respect, but not with reticence. Well, look, look at the starting lineup that Liverpool have got out there tonight it's still a very very strong team yes of course we know they're missing van dyke but they've still got allison in goal alexander arnold at right back and robertson at, at left back so they've still got their their main two full backs okay we know that fabinho is not a natural sense defender and that kabak has had his problems although does look like maybe a promising one for the future tiago in the middle a world-class center midfielder who has struggled this season but still absolutely dominant for Bayern last season in the yeah. Champions League. Wijnaldum's a good midfielder. Curtis Jones, a fantastic young player. And then they've got the the, the front three of Salah, Firmino and Mane. I think a little bit like we may be, well, some fans may have underestimated Tottenham going into this game. And then they've got a front four of Son, Kane, Bale and Ali. I, I think there's a danger... And I'm sure Fulham won't underestimate Liverpool, but as fans, we cannot underestimate Liverpool. And if we do lose 2-0 on Sunday, think that it's an absolutely disastrous result. This is still a bloody good side that has gone through a bad patch. And actually, we've maybe not played them at the optimum time because maybe a month ago, this would have been a different story. Yeah, yeah, I think that's perfectly reasonable. It's just one of those where we've got to go and, like I say, you know, you got to take it to them. We've seen today that if you, they're going to play a high line, if you can get in behind them, you can you can make that work. You're going to look at the the Anderson through ball for the goal against Sheffield United. You've got to look at Lookman. You've got to look at Josh Madger, who has got 
you know, that ability to press from the front and and get in behind. You've got to look at whoever plays on that right-hand side, whether that be Bobby Decordova-Reed, who we can see got, got in behind in the game against West Brom, if you if you remember rightly, and and try to utilise those things. You've got to look at the players who are going to break the break the lines, the likes of Anguissa, who got 70 minutes of rest today. Hopefully that will, you know, spur him into a start at the weekend and, and, and really kick him on. And and you've got to look at where, where Fulham can hurt them. I think there is places that Fulham can definitely hurt this Liverpool side. I just don't think it's going to be easy. No, 100%. So what changes with that in mind would you like to see? Is it Decadova reed maybe switching with um, Cavalero? Is it Anguisa coming back into the side for, for Lamina? It does seem now that they're... Fulham do chop it, and ch- chop it and change it most games, but there are consistent patterns of changes now. We, we know which players are likely to come in and which players are likely to go back. And the rest of the team now is starting to seem quite settled. Yeah, I mean, I think you get, I think you get Bobby Reed in for Cavaledo. I'd like to see um, Anguissa start in place of Loftus-Cheek in this one. I think it would be a really interesting concept to to go with a three in midfield and and try and really dominate that midfield battle. You know, have Harrison Reed sitting in there with Lamina and Anguissa and and, mm-hmm. and and basically try and and win that midfield battle and slide the front three through in terms of getting over the top or or getting behind that defensive line, which is going to play high. Um, so I'd be interested to see if there's that. I, I think it's going to be. Kenny Tete back at right back and Ola Aina a left back, unless Scott does something similar to what he did today in that he might go five at the back for this one on paper. Um, and playing Ola Aina as a right back in that regard basically means whoever's the right winger basically tucks in and becomes that extra full wing back option, whatever you want to call it. So if that is Bobby Reed, then then perhaps if that's the case, then he won't change Anthony Robinson but if he does I think that might be the side that we see speaking of Robinson thought he was really impressive today um and and I've been a bit unconvinced with him I thought he had a desperate first half I really did like it just kept the ball stuck under his feet and then in the very last action he obviously is the man that dives between three players drives forward and sets up the Lamina chance and then I thought after that he was a whole lot better yeah, fair enough. I guess almost I, I kind of just put him down as as bad as everyone else in, in that first half. But I just thought we Ball's saw more under his feet. Yeah, going forward from from Robinson than we have in a while. Like, that's actually been where a lot of my criticism of Robinson has been in recent weeks is that he gets forward and there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of end product. But actually, I thought he got forward a lot better today. And that Jinkin run, which Lamina should bury, um, was stunning and deserved deserved a goal yeah yeah it was um it was a really really good burst and it's what we've what we came to expect from him right at the start of the season you know when he was making those kind of lung busting runs and actually something we've seen a far lot less of in recent weeks we haven't seen one you know when he he hasn't made as many of those runs perhaps he's doing it because he was knacking himself out and 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 he was starting to to fade towards the end of games um but equally when he has made the runs Lookman often hasn't found him 
Uh, whether that's to do with their chemistry, which doesn't seem to be quite as strong as the chemistry between Lookman and Aina that we saw against Everton really start to, to tear that side apart. Um, or whether it's just because he is more used to making a run and, and the defender goes with him a little bit more so that it gives Lookman that space. I'm not quite sure exactly what the you know dichotomy is there, but it, it's obviously something that, that works for them. And, and, and actually, it was nice for him to get on the ball today and, and, and try and get forward and into those spaces a little bit more and I, I thought he was in the second half especially um better today than we've seen him in in, in a while but I did think his first half it was almost like that run in the, at the end of the first half completely catalyzed him and he was like oh I can still do this and he came <laughs> back into kind of speed and came back into confidence and it was one of those moments for him and sometimes it is just a sliding doors moment and maybe that's a, a good sign or something that he can kick on from in the next game I always do find the way that he can beat players kind of baffling because it's never a great bit of skill or it doesn't look like a great, really impressive bit of skill. He just seems to run in a straight line and his defenders seem to get out of his way. I don't really know what magic power he has, how he goes past defenders. It is just, I guess, a bit of raw speed and pace and often just knocking the ball past them. And But he just has this effortless ability to go past players. He doesn't need to bring out any flicks or tricks. He just seems to get through a um, bit the old Gareth Bale about him if you yeah if you will. long Gareth may it continue yeah. <laughs> long may it continue okay well that is it for the podcast today um bit of a cut down one bit of a raw emotional one I don't really like doing the podcast as I say straight after the game sometimes you need a bit of time to to, to mellow and let your thoughts fester a bit before before doing a good podcast but sometimes timings and, and needs dictate and I'm not a big fan of Thursday night football. I know that you're Mr. Europa League, Jack, and I, I love the Europa League as well. And maybe if we were in the Europa League, then I'd I'd live with Thursday night football a bit more. But Thursday night Barclays? Nah, not for me. Right, let's do the... Barclays. <laughs> Jack, we just need to name the podcast. So what would you like to go with? So there was like loads of really brilliant three-word reviews, obviously. Um but I really just want to call the pod cut off Mario Lamina's arms and throw them in the river. Is that three words? No, no, obviously not. But like, <laughs> like, obviously that's just what I want to call it. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'll stick in, in, you know, within the rules. I'd probably stick with Steve at Aldo1702's farewell to arms. Fantastic. Some great free word reviews today. I mean, I'd have loved that as a pod name. You can call it that if you really, really want, Jack. You should have a look at seeing if, if they'll accept <laughs> cut off Lamina's arms and throw them in the river as the pod title. But I'll, I, I won't be aggressively in, uh, insulted if you don't. I mean, maybe like Apple Podcasts will reject it for being too <laughs> violent or something like that. For think, what is this like, masochistic podcast that they've uh, recorded tonight over on Fulhamish? All right. Well, thank you for listening today. Um, a bit ranty. We're a bit angry, but I'm sure you are too. And I'm sure you can uh, very much sympathize uh, with everything that we've had to say today. And fingers crossed, we can turn it around on Sunday. Um, bit weird going to Anfield um, and playing a Jurgen Klopp Liverpool side and actually almost feeling like favourites for it given how poor they've been recently but we know it's going to be a tough one but if the boys can go and do something up at Anfield um, it would be a massive shot in the arm uh, for our season and our relegation fight uh, big game over the weekend uh, with Newcastle away at West Brom 
And uh, I will be donning my Baggies shirt for that one. Mon the Allardyce, as far as I'm concerned in that. And uh, Brighton uh, facing Leicester as well. So no doubt we'll be keeping an eye on those games, but mostly Fulham's game on Sunday. Uh, and I'll be back with the podcast on Sunday, looking back at that game. So Jack, thank you very much for today. Thank you very much, Sammy. I've got a preview with the Anfield Wrap, the mighty Anfield Wrap on our YouTube channel today. So go and check that out if you want a preview of Liverpool from a Reds perspective. Absolutely. And check out the YouTube channel for any other good content, including a full time live tonight, which uh, I haven't actually seen yet, but I hear was extra spicy um, with Dom, Isabel and Nathan um, winding up a a massive cohort of Leeds fans. uh, I think they were wound up by a massive cohort of Leeds fans and Nathan just snapped. So (laughs) potentially worth your time. Yeah. Um, in which case he uh, he accused a, a Leeds fan on live on air of, of fondling their manager. So that was that was quite good. <laughs> okay, I need to go check this yeah, out. I mean, Dom, oh my- we left Dom in charge for one night, and he he basically incited a Mississippi versus Yorkshire turf war. So, I mean, this is <laughs> this is this is why you can't have nice things. <laughs> One normal day of Fulham is all I ask for. Right, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Have a good weekend. Come on, you guys. You guys.